Hi, folks. This is Mike Young with Noble Warriors. So welcome to the Noble Man Podcast. This is episode number 31. And we're in a series right now called The Noble Man Invests in Faithful Men. And so our guest today is Bernie Ritterbush. Bernie is a, a friend that I've known since the very beginning of Noble Warriors and my involvement with the National Coalition of Ministries to Men. Bernie's uh, joining us from Chattanooga. And so uh, we're happy to have you here, Bernie. Welcome to the Noble Man Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here, Mike. Good to see you and be talking today. It's a lot of fun. Well, let me let me just set the the stage because I, I want to um, I want to give folks some context for our relationship. And as I recall, I had gotten exposed to men's fraternity at the NCMM conference in Washington D.C. in October of 2004, and started using that curriculum and um, just was blessed by what I was learning there. And so at some point, maybe in early 2005, I knew that we were going to launch Noble Warriors, and I, I began to see this vision that God was giving me for multiplying groups. And so I got in touch with Rick Caldwell in Little Rock, who was kind of the advocate for men's fraternity. And Rick, you know how Rick is. He doesn't listen long. He answers a question, and he moves on. And he says, well, who you need to talk to is Bernie Ritterbush. And uh, so he gave me your contact information, and we started communicating with each other, as I, as I recall, even before we met face-to-face. -face. Is that accurate from your recollection? Well, I'd fill in a couple of gaps. Actually, we met in Washington originally. Uh, I don't and I remember had, that. You and I had a conversation there where uh, uh, you shared that you were wrestling with leaving the yeah, world of industry and so forth, and and feeling called into ministry, and we had a, it wasn't that a long as I recall, super long, but a pretty deep conversation there for a few minutes, uh, talking about that, and then wow. uh, on, on the heels of that, of course, you may remember, then uh, we came through uh, Richmond, yep, and visited you and Stacy. Uh, I think again, even before you had formally launched. Uh, Noble Warriors. I'm yeah. not sure about that. I could be a little wrong on that, but uh, we've been through there two or three times with you. But absolutely. Anyway, we've watched you. God's had you in our uh, vision for uh, since the very beginning and before. Yeah. Well, well, I am so appreciative. And um, as I as I said, you guys didn't hear this, but as I was praying before we started this, uh, uh, um, I always describe a good coach as a man who can come along beside you and walk you across the playing field with his arm around your shoulder, and he does one of those swing his leg up and kick you in the seat of the pants at the same time. So I, a good coach can put his arm around you and encourage you and kick you in the seat of the pants at the same time, and that's that's Bernie Ritterbush to me. And so uh, I, I'm just so thankful for that. Well, Bernie, tell us, you've been investing in men for decades. So tell us what your ministry life looks like and, and how that has evolved with a, a quick snapshot. Well, I, with things I jotted down, Mike, I'm 75. I came to know Christ in uh, when I was 27 in 1972. And uh, at that stage in life, and for a number of reasons, uh, we determined pretty quickly that we were going to follow Christ, not just trust him for uh, uh, salvation. Now, I've been a church goer and all that, and I won't get into the background, but, but basically... Uh, so at, at 75, I'm 48 years into following Jesus. I'm, uh, I, did, I was in industry at that time. I was in industry for 13 years. By 35, I left that. So 40 years ago, I left uh, industry for ministry to focus on, 
on reaching and discipling men and their families. And you did uh, that originally through uh, CBMC, correct? That is correct. You remember that right? So from 1980 till 96, I was on the staff of CBMC, initially in Fort Wayne in the field. And then in 92, we moved here to Chattanooga to be part of the executive staff at their headquarters. And then four years later, uh, God threw me out of that nest, uh, used a, a, a hard conversation with my dear buddies and colleagues there to say, you know what? I've intended God for God to say, I've got something else for you. And you're yeah. going to have to really trust me now because I'm going to throw you out to start something from scratch. So uh, we did that at this stage in my life. I'm uh, organizationally, I have no portfolio uh, per se. I'm, I serve on the board right now. I had even gone off of that uh, for a season, but, uh, but mostly I just continue to do what God has called me to be. And that is to be an apostle and a disciple maker and an elder in Christ's kingdom. Wow. Now, let me let me hit a couple of things here, because CBMC, you and I know what the, that acronym or those letters mean, but some of my listeners may not. I, I don't think I've had anyone on with CBMC before. And so CBMC, for you guys who are listening, is called the Christian Businessmen's Connection. And it is, um, it is a very old, very well-established ministry that targets businessmen and uh, evangelism, so bringing businessmen to Christ and discipling them. Yeah, Correct. so um, any comments on that? Uh, no, that's exactly right. So uh, you, you may wonder, so why did we make that jump? And, and I'm not sure how this will fit into your theme, but I, but I think it's strategic. Something I've learned more by looking back right. and wondering, why don't more men do this sort of thing? And I realized how God worked in Anne and my uh, life. Um, but early on, I was involved in, as an actuary in the insurance industry. I was involved in corporate strategic planning and so forth. And once I came to Christ and began to apply in my personal life the kinds of questions about purpose and so forth, mission, vision that we would do in, in business, uh, we fairly quickly concluded and, uh, that God had a plan for our lives, Jeremiah 29, uh, 11 to 13. We said God's plan is better than our plan, or he isn't God. And therefore, the smartest thing we can do is say, God, we want your plan, whatever that means. Right. And we said it. We were young uh, in the Lord, especially. Uh, didn't have a lot to back that up in a sense, but we meant it. And then we determined a second major point was, uh, so how will we know and recognize God's plan? And we boiled it down to these two things, Mike. Number one, is there any potential in what's put before us of knowing and trusting God more totally, knowing God more implicitly and trusting him more explicitly. In other words, there'd be even more of a conscious uh, trusting of him and the encouragement to know him more intimately. And that yeah. became our criteria, those two things, knowing him more intimately, trusting more explicitly. And then out of that, we boiled down a purpose statement. And from what we had learned to that point, and this is probably 1977, uh, thereabouts, we determined that our purpose was to be God's instrument for fulfilling the Great Commission, right. make disciples, in the positions and places that he put us. So it's his plan. He decides where that's going to be carried out. 
but we know what we're to be about wherever that is. Yeah. And so that that stemmed out of and I'm going to jump ahead to a question you had. Who, who built into my life? And the truth that's is, what I was going to ask you, because this wasn't just divine revelation. I'm guessing there there's probably someone coaching you through this process, I guess. Well, the coming to Christ, uh, not somebody sitting down and sharing the God me it was god pursuing me over a period of time and just constantly putting in front of me nagging questions uh, evoking questions in my mind did i know for sure i was going to heaven and some things like that and i won't get into all that testimony that may be another time but but the key thing was that early on he connected us through a couple's bible study with a couple who had connections to the navigator ministry right and of course the navigators are very much about disciple making and so in 1975, here we are, green, new Christians, but Ann and I made a decision, and we spent a week at a couple's conference in Glen Erie in 1975. And so we were rubbing shoulders with guys who are passed on and in heaven today, but Leroy Imes, Lawrence Sani, Jerry Bridges, uh, uh, Jerry White. I mean, these were Bob Foster. These were patriarchs of the navigators. And we're just these naive folks <laughs> from Wisconsin. And, well, they're nice folks, but, you know, kind of not having any idea of who it was God was putting in our path and speaking into us. Yeah. So it wasn't any one guy who sat down, but men like that and lay people, the other people who were at those conferences, right. made us realize that this isn't just for the full-time uh, ministry person. These were ordinary folks who were being challenged in the same way. And so we took it to heart. Um, and the, the, that purpose statement, realizing everything else that God wants to accomplish in our lives uh, to perfect us and so forth and so on is going to not be complete till heaven. It's right. going to be better there than it'll be here. But the one thing that will end is our disciple-making. We can leave our testimony behind, and people may come to faith because of that through books or videos or audio or whatever, but disciple-making is life on life. And when we're gone, our life can't be part of that picture anymore. And so we determined that is the main purpose for why God still has you and me on planet Earth, hmm. is to reproduce. And uh, the verse that you cited, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, which is, uh, by the way, embodied in the logo of Men's Ministry Network, right. the ministry that, that I founded in 1996, is the four dots. And those yeah. four dots represent the four generations of 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And I see 2 Timothy 2.2 2 as, as simply the, 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 the way to implement the Great Commission. Right. The Great Commission tells us, go make disciples. How to do that? Well, find faithful men who will teach others and so forth. And uh, so I'll take a breath and let you ask another question. <laughs> well, so one of the things that I want to focus on is this idea, and we'll circle back around probably the way this is going to go, back to 2 Timothy 2.2. But um, this idea that discipleship is a big word in the church today. And, and I was at a meeting with pastors yesterday and they were talking about the fact that, you know, we've, we've missed decades of true discipleship in the local church, but then someone rightly says, well, discipleship is not enough. Teaching is not enough. We have to teach folks. We have to disciple folks so that they go and disciple someone else, so that they are pouring their life into a next generation. And so 
that's the real key. When, when tell me about from your perspective the difference between discipleship, which is a word you're probably going to have some angst with, and disciple making. Where where does that fall into Bernie Ritterbush's story? Well, uh, I think I'll I'll come at it this way, Mike. So. Um... I don't know when I figured this out. It was probably about uh, six or seven years into my time on staff of CBMC. So I'm 42. And, uh, and I started figuring out, you know, God's wired me to, to ask two questions. What does it take to make a mature disciple, starting with me? Yeah. And then secondly, um, I lost my thought, sorry. Uh, uh, well, the second thing was, so what is he showing me as I'm going along the path that will answer that question? And what really happened in my life, Mike, was that uh, I didn't have somebody who poured this stuff into me. And frankly, as I look back now, uh, maybe I intimidated a lot of people and they, they could have, but but didn't didn't want to. Maybe they saw me as somebody who really wasn't that teachable or something that that I was kind of a do-it-yourselfer and I'm going to go figure it out anyway. So, you know, don't waste time. I don't know what the reasons were, but I realized that I started out thinking guys are here and I would, I would try to give them what I thought they needed, given that I thought they were where they were and then nothing would happen. And so then I would, well, they're not quite there. They must be back up a step. And over a period of, of eight or nine years, I kept backing up and backing up. And in fact, uh, ultimately, it took 20 years to back up and get to square one. Yeah. And and in that process, I'm kind of reverse engineering. What does it take? Well, it takes this, but, but it takes something before that. And it right. takes something before that. And so I finally got back to, and this will connect back to, to your story, I got back to men's fraternity. Yeah. I got back to the fact that men do not understand God's blueprint for them as men. And they want to be good fathers and husbands and workers and employers and all that good stuff, churchmen, people in the church. But if that isn't flowing out of God's design for them as a man, which has been restored to them in Jesus Christ, right. then it's all wish to and want to be. They may work hard and try to pump it out of themselves, but it's not the overflow of fundamentally who they are. And so uh, that really got me back to the square one. And, and, the, and the process then was, well, you've got to build that and, and then build on that. So back to your question, discipleship, and we say this in, in, in our material on Rethink Disciple Making, I think is a terribly misused word. Discipleship describes the state or quality or condition of someone who is a mature disciple, just as leader is uh, the embodiment of uh, leadership is the embodiment of leader, uh, being a leader, and so forth. Partner, partnership, and so forth. You can't be in a partnership if you have no partner. You can't right. talk about somebody being in discipleship if they're not already a disciple. So disciple-making is that process, that intentional process, that produces a disciple. You do woodworking and mechanics and things like that, I know, with your sons. Okay, well, when you set out to build something— you can't just say, well, hey, that's going to be a cabinet. You got to do some cabinet making. You start with some right. raw material and put it together. And that doesn't just happen. Once it's formed, it can now function in the state quality or condition of being a cabinet and fulfill its purpose. But uh, we, we call and, and say we're, we're doing discipleship courses. Well, the implication of that to me would be we're doing courses intended for somebody who's already a mature disciple. 
And the truth of the matter is 98% of people sitting in the pew on Sunday morning are not mature disciples. And so you're giving stuff that's going right over their head, not meeting them where they are in the stuff they need to face the issues of life. Wow. There's, there's so much here. So let me, um, Gosh, one thing that comes to mind is we we often, I hear guys often say, hey, I just want to be part of a deep Bible study. I want to go deep in the Word. And I, I, I guard against that because I think there are lots of broken, immature folks that know an awful lot of Greek and Hebrew. I mean, they could run circles around me, but they don't understand the core competencies of what it means to walk with Jesus and implement that uh, his truth in their lives to walk in obedience and humility. And that, so they're scholars, but not Jesus followers sometimes. I say a big amen. And Mike, uh, this will relate to a point later in your, your outline, but, but you see what I'm sitting in here. Yeah. A blue wingback chair, right? And I chose to sit here because I thought, I want, if, if guys see this visually, I want them to see that because it is this blue chair in which I park my rear end early mornings, year after year, not without fail. There were mornings I didn't, but this was the routine of my early morning meeting with God. And the, the thing that changed it, and I, I think it relates to your point here, I heard from the navigators, I heard from Leroy Imes himself, you know, that his goal was to be a man of the word. And when I first heard that, I thought, man, that's just so no, that's that's a great thing. But the Lord checked me on that. And he said, Bernie, it isn't to know my word, it's to know me, mm. author of the word. Yeah. And that changed it. I was doing quiet times, whatever you want to call them, and trying to pump them out. And I would go for a while and it'd fall apart and so forth and so forth. But when it changed to, I want to know you, God, because you want me to know you, that changed it. And that, this blue chair became my date, <laughs> date site. It was the morning date to hear from God. And this goes to your very much to your point. It was not to become a more intelligent, articulate uh, erudite speaker and teacher of that book, right? It was to know God and to hear from him. And so when I sat down in the morning, it was God, what do you have to say to me this morning? And what has to change in my life? What are you working to transform so that I can be all that you intended me to be in Christ? And that became my objective and it changed everything. And so if a guy isn't starting out in the blue chair, he is not going to make disciples out there. Yeah. He may be about it. He may be meeting with all kinds of guys and going through all kinds of Bible studies, but in terms of transformation in his life so that the abundant life of Christ is flowing forth, that's not going to happen. Well, so, you know, you say, you, boy, there's so much here. And one of the things that I caught was what, God, what do you want to do to change me, uh, to transform me? And, and, and how do you want to shape my life? I think we often, and guys, listen to this, um, because I think we often has a, have a tendency as men to read the word with a lens that says, how does this need to change someone else? Because I'm doing okay. And so we are looking for how God might want to might want to transform someone else. Where is the opportunity here for me to say something to my wife or to my child? But the real issue is to let God put the mirror in front of our face and shine the light on us and say, this, 
this is what I want to change in you to make you more like my son, Jesus. So how do we get to that posture? What, what does it look like to reach that point in the blue chair where we're willing to be humble and receptive to that challenge? A friend of mine uh, here locally uh, made this statement a few years back when he was part of uh, of a discipling group that I was leading. And Bert's 10 years younger than I am. And it's been a joy to watch what God has done in this. I mean, he was a foreman at the local railroad yard. They rebuilt diesel locomotives and things like that, okay, for his career. But Bert said one day, when a man hears from God, he'll never get over it. And you think of Moses and other instances in the scripture, right. and you say, boy, Abraham, <laughs> boy, that's true. Well, you know what? It can be true for every man who hears this podcast. Yeah. And how does that happen? It's sitting down and saying, God, talk to me. Now, one thing you asked, what would I do differently? The thing I'd do differently is so much of what we've done over the years, I learned in CBMC, we would talk about guys and tell guys, you ought to have a quiet time. I'll bet you've heard pastors preach that sermon. Yeah. Okay. But it's the skill of doing it. What does that look like? A right. guy needs to, to taste and see and feel it, touch it. And so that is why we are so big on using the resource of every man a warrior. Yeah. Because every man a warrior in book one starts out on that skill building. If our goal, if the number one command of Jesus is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, uh, then how does he do that? Well, he spends time with God. Okay, now what does that look like? And yeah. you got to get down to the practicalities of you sit down in a blue chair on a regular basis with a notebook and a pen in hand, and you start marking up your Bible, and you start writing down the things you hear God say to you. It's as simple as that, uh, in a sense, and yet yeah. it's as profound as that. And so if we are not teaching men that basic skill, the skills that will enable him to hear from God so that he can know where God's trying to transform him, then, again, we're just training him to go about another task in, in the kingdom, one more thing on his to-do list, and so forth. Disciple-making, ultimately, is the overflow of God's making you into a disciple. That's right. And, and, and once you hear, you, you, you commented on your friend, Bert, he said, once a man hears from God, he never forgets it. And, and uh, right. Is that never gets over it, never gets over it. And so if you have, when, it, you have, when you have that sort of experience, that's something you tell others about and you want to share with others and you want to see them get to that point. And um, so let me, let me come back to a couple of things. Now, Bernie mentioned Every Man a Warrior. I was sure that was going to come up. We're going to include some links to some of these resources in our resource notes so you could check that out. Um, I actually, you may be familiar with this. Do you, did you ever get exposed to um, Master Life by Avery Willis? I have. So um, not the same as Every Man a Warrior, but it started out with live in the word, pray in faith. And, and, and so it was about, you know, how do you have this quiet time? How do you devote yourself daily into the word and, and, and see it change? You start taking notes. Guys, I, I want to pause here. I don't think it's a big deal whether or not your chair is blue. Um, <laughs> Amen. I, I do think it's important for you to have an appointment with the Lord somewhere where you can be consistent and you have your Bible there. And I'm, I'm going to pound on this again. There are a couple of things that I, I pound on to the, to the point of frustration with some people, but you need a paper Bible. 
Um, I, I'm all for you doing some research or being able to search something on your iPhone. But my goodness, I, I want to see men with a paper Bible that they can mark up, that they can open. And, you know, a couple of reasons for that. It, there's something about holding that book in your hand. But here's something else. If your family comes downstairs and sees you with your phone in your hand, well, you could be looking at porn. You could be uh, placing an ad on Facebook Marketplace. You could be doing any number of things. But if you've got a Bible in your hand, then you're probably reading the Bible. So I, I'll, I'll put that there. And then I'll also say this idea of journaling. Um, I, I know there are lots of guys who say, hey, that's not my thing. My handwriting's not good. Guys, it, I, I would just encourage you, buy a cheap notebook. Keep it with your Bible. It's what I do. I, I buy these Mead notebooks, 100 pages. And, and so I just almost every day, now not every day do I, 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 I miss days, but almost every day I sit and I read the word and I write down, this is what's on my mind. And sometimes it's not even about the scripture, but there is something else that's heavy on my heart that God's working on me with that I need to bring to him. It might be something going on with one of my kids. And so I, I, I think we need to be engaging in this, this act of almost writing out our thoughts before the Lord, because there's something that happens when we're willing to do that. So guys, I just, I just encourage you to do that. Make sure you have a daily appointment with the Lord in a, in a place that you are consistent with. And I would encourage you to start writing, taking notes. If you don't have a paper Bible, you get in touch with me and man, I'll ship you one. Um, I'll ship you a nice one too. I'm not going to, I'll ship you a leather but ESV Bible, there's no telling how much trouble I'm going to get in for that. But I, I, I hate it when we when we give someone a Bible and it's a paper paperback Bible and uh, just kind of a throwaway thing. I, I believe the word is so valuable that we want to see guys treasure it. And um, so let me let me get back on track because I can I can run with this. But Bernie, uh, investing in faithful men, if, if we are committed to this idea, not of just discipleship, a state of being, but of disciple making, which is an active, um, intentional, you used that word earlier, intentional process. I, I believe some of the men that are listening to this podcast could be uh, brought along in the idea of becoming disciple makers, not just discipleship gurus, but guys who are truly multiplying the kingdom. What does that look like? How do you, through Rethink Disciple Making, help guys understand this multiplication process and embrace it and move forward with it? Well, in Rethink Disciple Making specifically, and by the way, let me just underscore everything you said about time in the Word and journaling and so forth. And I'll, I'll confess, I did a lot of that, and then uh, I kind of got away from it some. Uh, my journaling particularly, not so much the time in the Word, that continued. But my Bible is a leather bound. It's been really uh, rebound and it is all marked up. And the notes that I've put in there and the underlinings are all precious to me. Um, so I underscore all that. But rethink disciple making specifically. Uh, I didn't intend to to produce that. But again, it, it bubbled out of me after all these years in ministry and making lots of mistakes working with men. I concluded that most Christians, uh, men and women, don't really understand what God is trying to do in our lives, where he's really trying to grow us to. I mean, yes, to be conformed to the image of Christ. We can quote that scripture, but what does that mean? What does that yeah. look like? 
And so I, I was impressed. We don't understand where God's trying to get us, and we don't understand how God's working to try to get us there. And so we miss a ton of the opportunities that God could use to transform you or me, and we blow right by them because we got our agenda, we got our schedule for the day, whatever it is. And so rethink disciple making. I call it the trail guide to spiritual maturity. And it it looks at these two big questions and ends up laying out something of a map right. uh, to get there. And and what you find out is God is trying to get you to see and live life from his point of view. And I use a telescope as an illustration. Most of us live life as Christians even. Now, if we're not Christians, we're not even able to, to look into the big end of the telescope. But most Christians live life looking into the big end of the telescope. And we're talking about a 200-inch, a uh, you know, uh, whatever mountain that telescope is on. It's a big right. dude. And so we look, and how big is God at the other end of that telescope? He is minute and far away, right? right? And so God says, you don't get it, Bernie. And I've got to grow you up to my end of the telescope so you're looking down beside me and seeing what I see in your life and surrounding your life. And when you do that, you're going to live life totally different because I see the end from the beginning. I see the all the aspects and all the relationships swirling around you that may you may blow by them. They may seem uh, like a pain in the. You know what? But uh, anyway, uh, uh, I see it differently and you'll live yeah. your life. I do. So disciple making is that I'm going to use some other people in your life to help you grow up to this end of the telescope and get that first glimpse of your life is the, the way I see it. And you're going to quit missing the opportunities that I'm about every day through little things and big things, trying to get your attention and get you to stop and quit living life and seeing life the way you do and look at it from my point of view and start saying, you know what, it may not, I don't see how it could possibly work, but I'm going to start living that way instead of the way I always have. I'm going to start reacting to these situations the way God says instead of the way I always have or the way dad said or whatever it is. Uh, and so it changes your whole way of seeing and living life and in all the practical areas that we men battle with every day. So, so that, go ahead. Well, one of the things that comes to mind is, is my spirit, my little S spirit, awake and alert to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Um, and, and, and you can ex expound upon this if, if you'd like, but I think there's so many, even folks who are faithful in the church, whose, whose spirit, their spirit is shut off to what the Holy Spirit would like to say to them, would like for them to notice actions that they would like for them to take. And, and so maybe part of this idea to get back to our verse of being a faithful man is that you're just aware of God's work in your life for you personally, in your family, in your home, around your business surroundings, your community. Your spirit is awake and alive and receptive to what God may be saying to you about going and having a conversation with someone to the point that you are going to be obedient to his spirit speaking to your spirit. Is, is that fair with this? That is totally fair. That, that's very fair. When we understand what God's trying to do, it's, it's going to be those promptings, which is why that the blue chair, the quiet time yeah. is so critical to this. See, I can wait 
and be reactive until God puts something in my path that I just have to have to deal with. I'm going to trip over it. It's going to clobber me. It's going to do something. And I finally, well, duh, you know, my business just went bankrupt. Okay. Right. You got my attention, God. Okay. But why in the world do we require those kinds of catastrophic things for us to finally give attention to God? Why not sit down in the blue chair every morning and say, God, talk to me. What do you want to do in my life today? That is a Cairo, what we call in Rethink, Kairos moment. That can yes. be your, your pre-planned and pre-initiated Kairos moment. Well, it's a whole lot easier to go through life letting him transform your life as a result of those things than to wait for your business to fail or, or for you to have an affair or whatever it would be that is a big blowout in our life. Why do that? Yeah. And in those, the Holy Spirit begins with to God's Holy Spirit speaking to our spirit. That's exactly right. You know, we, we I lost you there for a second, Bernie. You did? I'm here. Yeah, uh, it, I lost the, huh. I'm not sure what's going on. I lost, uh, you, I think the audio didn't catch up with you. So let me, um, let me jump in here. I know you just made a point. Let me jump in here and and ask you this, you know, you just talked about um, how being in the blue chair uh, kind of awakens your spirit and and prepares you for what you might hear. You know, we talk often about um, God will not, there's no temptation except what's common to man. And with the temptation comes a way out. Well, that way out may have been set up by the time that you spent in the chair. The temptation may come at two o'clock in the afternoon, but the way out was set up by your time in the chair at seven o'clock in the morning. Absolutely. I look back in my life, Mike, and, and I can tell you, there's never been a time when God didn't give me a heads up yeah. before the, the, the test came. Yeah. And I didn't always recognize it back in the earlier days, so I blew it. Yeah. But invariably, there was some check. It may have been a check in my spirit out of a quiet time. It may have been a word spoken to me by somebody else, whatever. But God has been faithful always to give me a, a way out before I needed it. And, and boy, when we have that testimony, we need to share it with others. We want to share it with others because we want them to walk in that same victory and have that same experience. Because all of a sudden you look up and say, God, you are real. And so it's at that point when we want to share that the realness of God with someone else. And that's what takes us to the point of being faithful men who will teach others also. When we can start living life in the kingdom, I think so many Christians settle for way less. They're satisfied with their going to heaven. And if I can just have a, a smooth, uh, peaceful, uh, prosperous life here and now, compared to the rest of the world, then that's wonderful. And we that is so much less, so much yeah. less than God has for us. And God says, man, that's seeing life from the big end of the telescope. If you could come up here and see what I've got for you, you would never settle for that. Jesus came, the gospel, if I can touch on that. Yeah, absolutely. We, the gospel is, we, we sell heaven. And that's <laughs> That's just the final payoff for what he really wants to offer us. Yeah. He wants us to have a kingdom life here and now. That's why Jesus came. He came, why? To show the kingdom life. Here's yeah. what life can be lived like. You don't have to keep living life the way you are. The state of our country right now 
so grieves my heart because it does not have to be this way. Right. All we That's have right. to do is yield to God and begin to seek and and live the life he has for us. And all of this goes away. The wow. rioting, the the polarization, all of this is just the futility of man trying to do it in his strength. And God has such a better life for us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me let me ask you this, because I'm, I'm watching time. I know we have to, man, we could go on forever, I believe. Well, but, we'll do another visit sometime. Yeah. So, so let me, if someone were to get in touch with you, um, and it's a young man that uh, I've invested a little bit of time in at our church named Jason. I was on a call with him last night, and he's probably going to listen to this podcast at some point. But So if Jason were to get in touch with Bernie Ritterbush and say, Bernie, I want to understand the things that you understand. I want to be a disciple maker. I, I, I want to be that guy. What, what do you tell Jason to do? How do you walk with him? What does it look like when Bernie Ritterbush comes along beside a guy right now? I was going to say, I'm going to tell Jason, well, call Mike Young. <laughs> <laughs> he probably will. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what does that look like? Well, I've got, uh, uh, it's interesting you'd ask that question. So I've got two guys that that uh, I met. The reason that we started at 110 was because from 12 to 1, uh, we meet by uh, uh, FaceTime yeah. on Wednesdays. And we're working, they're two young guys, they're in their 30s, and they're working through, we're, we're using Rethink, or I'm sorry, Every Man a Warrior yeah. as our track not our curriculum. If you're right. studying a book for the sake of the book, you're on the wrong track. The right. goal is a transformed life. Use whatever resource you can that's reproducible. So I am, we're into the third book of, Reef, of Every Man a Warrior. And, uh, and we're, and then apart from that, I'll time one-on-one with them as we hit issues that where I sense, hey, we need to talk about this one further and it doesn't have to be in a group. So I'll spend some time with him. Uh, we're having dinner tomorrow night. Uh, Ann and I with two couples. One is uh, now on the board of the ministry. So a uh, cross initially uh, was brought into the, um, on my radar, so to speak, through a group led by a guy who I heard was in town who had a navigator background and what have you. I sat down and visited with him, told him about a, every man a warrior. Well, he gathered these three other guys, one of whom was cross and went blazing through it. Man, it, it was the picture of me being a Glen Erie at 35. <laughs> every morning I'm up at, at, at five o'clock, the crack of dawn, whatever. And I'm all over those mountains, seeing how far I can climb and walk and do whatever and so forth. And, and just get it done. Never mind what the process was about. Just get it done. Anyway, so these guys blazed through the thing, did a terrible job. Uh, <laughs> asked for no advice, input, right. whatever. Okay. But out of it, I did drop in on the group a couple of times to observe. And Cross stood out to me as a more uh, intentional guy. So sometime after that, I had three guys who were looking to uh, get into a group and I was trying, they kept asking me, is there a new group starting? You got anybody you could meet with? I had more groups than I knew what to do with. And I, I really wasn't looking for one, but I finally said, you know, I'm not finding somebody who's right now ready for them. So I pulled them together and I asked Cross to be my co-leader. Yeah. So he had been through once. Well, he came through the second time. And at the end of it, he said, this was not anything like the first time. Right. <laughs> You're serious about this. <laughs> You do it intentionally and so forth. Well, so tomorrow night, we're having dinner with Cross and his wife 
and a new young guy that I have just met in his 20s. Uh, what they share in common is Cross and Caroline are about to have their second child. Right. And this guy are going to have their first child, next, both of them next month. Okay. So Charlie and Maddie, and we haven't even met Maddie yet, uh, but we're going to get them together. And my desire out of that is Cross has just finished up meeting with a guy and uh, going through Every Man a Warrior and preparing him with a vision of reproducing that. And uh, I want him to connect him to Charlie because I think that's going to be a possibly really good fit to have that kind of thing happening. So I'm just, I'm always alert to guys that evidence a desire uh, to grow and follow Christ or who are asking questions. They don't even have to be saved yet. But the key is just having that radar going. And what you said earlier, this Holy Spirit, if you're tuned into the Holy Spirit, he's going to show you the people and, and pick them up where they are. Have in your toolbox the resources that you know that guy could end up using someday with somebody else. Meet him where he is. Help him to grow. Come to faith. Catch a vision for all that God has for him. Take him up that road get him well started on that. And now he's got something he can reproduce. Absolutely. And, you know, so part of what I love in that story is your intentionality with this. You are looking and asking God, I'm sure, to help me see the things that are not immediately obvious about how I can connect one guy with another guy, a guy who needs an opportunity to lead, with a guy who needs an opportunity to be led. So you're, you're working through this to connect guys. And this is not for Bernie's glory. This is, this is for the purpose of investing in another man who will then invest in other men who will invest in other men. This is second Timothy two, two being played out here. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I hope that's the case. Yeah. yeah. It's not about notching one more on my belt. It's getting one more guy who's got guys that he's building into, who are building into other men. <laughs> because that's the legacy. You mentioned you started this off by saying when, when we pass on into our reward, into heaven, and we, you know, we can leave our legacy behind of our videos, our books, or any of that stuff, but our disciple-making stops, well, it stops only if we haven't invested in other disciple-makers. And so that's, uh, that's the way our legacy continues to grow even beyond our life here on earth. And uh, that's sometimes it's because of the people that we invest in who may run, you know, I, I know I've got to let you go. So I'm, I'm watching your time. No, no, but, no I'm um, fine. I'm fine. I'm Stacy and I lead a, a small group of uh, couples at our church and we intentionally call it catapult. We have a defined amount of time that we're going to spend with these couples and then we pitch them out and, and, you know, it's a little nerve wracking to them. They'd rather stay with us and, and have this, these mentor couples that are investing in them in this purpose and in this purposeful way, but we invest in them and then we pitch them out so that they have to go and either join another group, launch another group, be invested, involved in ministry in some way, investing in other people. And um, so it's, it's this multiplication intentionality that is so critical. So, um, and on that point, and I'm sure you and Stacy do this uh, in that group, but uh, a key thing again, that I like about, every man a warrior as a resource is because built into it is a measure of accountability. 
Yeah. I'm hard at being ugly in spite of the foot kicking that you referred to <laughs> or butt kicking that you referred to earlier. That that is not my nature. Okay. I, I'm uh, and and so I'm glad you feel so comfortable that, with me, Bernie. What's that? I'm glad you feel so comfortable with me that you would do something. <laughs> that really is true. That really is true. <laughs> God's put you in a very special place in my heart where I feel at liberty. <laughs> but but the the idea of accountability. Yeah. Uh, and so we're all signing on. We're all going to do this. And so the scripture memory, having the quiet times, sharing quiet times, that's all built into it. So the accountability and encouragement is there. And then you share the leadership. By book two, you're taking turns leading the next lesson. Well, he's, they've seen what you've done, which is nothing particularly magical because here's the leader's guide. Everybody sees what it is. Here's the game plan. Just go down the checklist and do it. And pretty soon they start thinking, you know, gee, that Ritter boy, she's got nothing special. I could do this. <laughs> and I go. say, yes. Yeah, that's it. That's what I want to hear him to say is I could do this. That's because awesome. the fact is he can. Yeah. And, and now he needs to step out and do it. Yeah. Um, I will just say for encouragement to your listeners, uh, Mike, on that score, when I go back, listen, guys, if you saw the first attempt that I made, it was ugly. <laughs> it was really bad. It was, I mean, I did all the don't do's because I didn't know any better yeah. at that point. I I didn't even have the benefit of uh, hearing a podcast like this. Yeah. So uh, poor Mike Hamilton, bless his heart, uh, you know, bore up with me. But the end result, has Mike ever reproduced? Uh, not to my knowledge. Uh, did his life transform? No. I, I could only give him what I knew, which wasn't much. But I was being faithful to pass, try to pass that on. And Mike didn't go very far. But I could not have a second opportunity if I didn't seize the first one. And the guys that God will bring in your path, the faithful men, will become more faithful. Right. They will become better raw material. In your workshop, do you start out with the choicest piece of, of maple or oak or mahogany to, to make something? Or do you get some scrap pine and try it out? You know? Yeah. And yeah. same thing here. God gives us what he knows we're ready to handle. And uh, and so we can also turn around and I can tell you of a couple that and talk about the spirits prompting. The guy called me on the phone asking about a meeting we were having. And I could tell the spirit told me this guy is asking questions. He is hungry to know the answers to these questions. And so I said, let's meet for lunch. I wasn't going to wait for a, a, a group meeting. Right. Uh, let's, let's meet for lunch. I, I answered his questions that day and he prayed to receive the Lord. We invited his, he and his wife to go to church with us that Sunday, brought him home to have dinner. And by the end of the dinner, the wife had prayed to receive the Lord. And then we began to meet with him as a couple wow. and, and doing the best we can. Now, I did with them basically the same thing I did with Mike as far as quote curriculum, but how we did it was totally different yeah. because these were hungry new believers and we would take whatever time and have them over and so forth and so on. They didn't have kids yet and so forth. Well, Kurt and Debbie went on to have four kids, all of whom are walking with the Lord today, married to Christian spouses, have uh, children of their own now. So we're into another generation. Kurt went on to be a press secretary to our uh, local 
local congressman who then became a U.S. senator. Uh, Kurt became chief of staff for a U.S. senator, lived in Washington for a number of years, then went back to Indianapolis, his hometown, and uh, headed up a, a statewide ministry for, uh, he just retired last year. So that's what God can do. And it goes back to your point about the legacy. So Kurt's, you know, got a whole stream of people down there that started with a lunch conversation at the Lucky Steer. Well, so let me let me hit a couple of points with that, and then I'll, I'll bring this to a close, because like I said, we could go on. Folks, I want you to listen, um, or recognize that a couple of things that I hear in Bernie's uh, account there of his relationship with, what was this guy's name again, Bernie? Kurt. Kurt. So his relationship with Kurt. One thing is this, uh, hospitality. Uh, I, I know Ann, Bernie's wife, and uh, I, I'm just thankful that multiple times during this conversation, you've heard that they are a team. They're doing this together. They've eaten couple, eaten meals with couples. They've shared with them. And I think m- much of this probably happened in your home. And so it, it, it doesn't always have to be that way. But hospitality is a big part of engaging these relationships and moving them forward for the sake of the kingdom. There's intentional hospitality. That's it's part of what we see over and over again. And that's why we break bread together as believers, but you should be breaking bread with some folks who aren't believers so that you have an opportunity to invest in them. Remember the Pharisees were upset with Jesus because he ate with sinners and tax collectors. And so we need to be eating with some folks and spending some time with some folks who don't necessarily uh, believe the same way that we do so that we have an opportunity to be intentional there. And the second thing, I, I hope you'll appreciate the fact that Bernie told a story about what he perceives as some failures in his initial attempts to invest in someone else, someone who didn't reproduce, someone who's uh, he's not sure his life was transformed. Uh, and then he tells the story of Kurt, who he sees so much fruit in his life. Guys, we have to be willing to at least attempt to do the to invest in other people's lives because the mistakes that we make God's going to redeem that that that's not on you he does what he does and part of the reason that he allows us to have those experiences is so we can become more fruitful down the road um, so don't be afraid of making a mistake Bernie has has referenced a couple of times um, the woodworking at our house I'll, I'll tell you a quick story my son Ben, uh, has rebuilt three automatic transmissions this summer, and he's had trouble with every one of them. He's made mistakes. The first one we had to take out of the truck three times and take it back apart and put it back together. And it's no joke taking a transmission out of an F-150. And, and But he learned something new every time. He didn't make the same mistake again. And so, man, your life and your experiences are so much richer because of the mistakes that you make. There's only been one perfect disciple maker. And I would even say to you that Judas betrayed Jesus. And um, so he, he was perfect. And and still the 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 Satan grabbed that one. And so you're going to have some some struggles, some frustrations with with uh, men who don't turn out the way that you want. But God, this uh, guys, this is not a project about your glory or your ego or anything about this. This is this is you being obedient to what the Lord wants you to do in terms of investing in other uh, men, especially. And then He's going to be the one that grows and gives the increase. So, any final words, Bernie? 
Well, I'd like to just end with this. The key prerequisite to being a disciple, to someone who's growing, is humility. Yeah. Is humility. Is saying, God, I don't have all the answers. I don't see the whole picture here. Show me. Teach me. I need to, I need more from you. So humility. So look for men who are humble and teachable. As a disciple maker, the key quality, I believe, is listening. Asking questions and listening. Those are the key skills that help you get inside a man's life, see where God's at work, and then be an instrument to, to uh, have God's to be part of that process. The, the tools, the resources we use are simply means of, of getting into areas of a man's life, asking questions. The material will surface questions. Right. Now will we listen and see what is God trying to do in that guy's life in this area? And, uh, and so be a listener. That's Those awesome. two things I think are, are essential. Critical. Wow. Well, Bernie, like I, we've said before a couple of times, we could go on and on with this. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you for the example that you set 75 years old and vigorous. Guys, go back and read the story of Caleb. Caleb said, I want the high ground. I am still as vigorous now as I was uh, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. I can't remember what the quote was, but um, we need to be paying attention to men like Bernie who at this stage of life, I mean, he is as, as passionate and as vigorous to invest in the kingdom and see the kingdom grow as he ever has been. Amen. Boy, that's the way we want to do things. So uh, be on the lookout for guys like this around you so that you can spend time with them and, and learn from them. Um, folks, uh, a couple of other things. If this blesses you, would you send us a comment? Uh, you know, like the podcast, share it with someone else. Give us a give us an honest five star rating, is what my friend Todd Christian tells me to say all the time. But just remember that uh, that this. If it blessed you, it can bless someone else. So please share it. Next week, we'll have another interview with someone else who uh, has been a decades-long disciple maker as we finish up. The next uh, broadcast, next podcast, will be our final in this series of The Noble Man Invests in Faithful Men. But guys, thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. We'll look forward to being in touch next time. Take care.